So much to talk about since the last episode, but I don't want to go back too far because it feels like old news now. But um, that was just a little bit of Pink's new song, What About Us, which actually came out last week, but I've been listening to it a lot this week and um, really getting into it. Um, obviously, the message is pretty, well, you heard a little bit in that first verse, but the message is pretty spot on for right now. Politically, and the video just came out, I think a couple days ago. I think on Wednesday the video came out, the 16th of August. And, well, speaking of Pink and videos, Pink was also just released as the recipient of this year's um, Video Vanguard Award, the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award at the VMAs, the MTV VMAs, which their lineup had looked, I don't know if you, you know, the VMAs always has something like some big deal that goes on every year at the VMAs and um, their lineup looked really super boring. I think I like fell asleep and had to take a nap halfway through reading just through the lineup of who was performing. I can't even think of, I think the only exciting one or was Kendrick Lamar, but now I can't even remember if I'm making that up and he's not even on the list. But it was um, a lot of people I've never heard of, a lot of people I don't care about, whatever. I just saw a story today that there's like some rumor that Taylor Swift and Katy Perry are going to do something together at the VMAs, which sounds god-awful. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But anyway, Pink is going to be the recipient of the Video Vanguard Award. Last year it was Rihanna. Um, year before it was Kanye. And then the year before that was the big, um, the year Beyonce won, obviously. Um, and there's a lot of debate every year about who should be getting this award. Like, it's still kind of um, ridiculous that Missy Elliott hasn't been given the award. There's some other folks that are always in the running every year that people want to uh, uh, see get it. And when I first heard Pink, I was like, oh, you know, I can't even really think of that many Pink videos that I remember. Um, but then they all started coming back to me I had a, in my head, and I was like, oh, actually, this is a really good choice. And then when I saw this video for What About Us, her new video, um, this week, it, it was kind of really exciting. And Pink always does, I mean, she always flies through the air and... Uh, personally, I'm a little bit over the flying through the air. I mean, it always makes for a good show. 
um, and she always she she she'll she'll do something good um, and cool and innovative and creative. Hopefully, I think um, to receive the award. Uh, hopefully, it won't, or or at least she's added some kind of new shtick to the flying through the air at this point. But that being said, uh, I think she'll really um, well. The, the the new video is is really cool and the way she uses dance and she's been doing this for a while too it's kind of like how Sia um for some of her songs and using that little girl from Dance Moms whatever whoever she is um but using like kind of modern choreography in the videos and Pink again does this she did it with that um it was the video for Try I think right where she was in the house and there was this like long contemporary dance and then she recreated it live and there was throwing the um the chalk dust or the colored dust around and it was like this really iconic kind of video moment I guess um so she uses dance again in the same way but the the video feels really um important and kind of a response to everything that's going on right now of course I mean it must have been filmed before but certainly the lyrics are more of a response to our political time right now and kind of a an uplifting empowering song and the the video is also you know it's got a really diverse cast in some ways it reminded me of um Beyonce's I always compare everything to Beyonce obviously um not in like a derivative way but in a in a um a cool way reminded me of the casting in both Run the World and the Super Bauer video, especially. She's also got a lot of, there's like some police imagery and police brutality imagery going on in this pink video. And it's like a bunch of, you know, outcasts kind of fighting back. And there's all of this choreography that's really cool to see within that space. Um, anyway, I think the video is really cool. You should watch it. And it, it got me really excited about thinking about Pink as the VMA, um, the Video Vanguard Award recipient, and actually remembering how many really great videos she does have, even though they weren't on the, well, it's not the right expression, tip of my tongue, but like at, at the front of my mind when I was thinking, when, when she was announced. But this actually is a really cool choice, and I'm excited to see what, now I'll actually watch it. I, I wasn't, it, it sounded so boring given their lineup, I wasn't even going to watch. But now, I will watch for her, see, so MTV knows what they're doing. They know how boring the show is. They have to give something for people that are, um, need a little, you know, some kind of moment or something exciting to happen at the award show. I don't even, oh, it's Katy Perry, Katy Perry's hosting it, I think. That's why maybe there's going to be some weird thing between her and Taylor Swift. Anyway, um, speaking of Taylor Swift, right, so she just recently had that, the, the trial, it, it was a defamation trial that she, oh wait, no, that was filed against her for claiming to have been groped by a radio DJ. Now, everybody knows I do not like Taylor Swift. I think she's, <laughs> I mean, a snake. We, we all have that association with her now. Um, she, she ended up winning the trial, which is great. And this is like probably one of the only, you know, positive supportive things I'll say about Taylor Swift. It's great in what it represents um, in terms of 
fighting back against that kind of thing, right? And and being an example and and stepping up and saying, you know, this isn't okay and I'm going to fight it. I'm in a position... Like, this is one tiny instance where Taylor Swift has used some kind of her privilege and made made a good example. Okay. That being said, there was a bunch of writing about it around the time. Like, where have all the feminists gone? Nobody's supporting Taylor Swift. Nobody's saying... You know, but th- there's other things. And it was true. There wasn't as much talk about... Uh, rallying support around her during this trial it was um the win was like symbolic because she wasn't uh, she wasn't asking for money in return he filed defamation against her because she made this um allegation which right i mean she is in a place where she doesn't really have anything to to gain by making this allegation and you know we should always just trust when a woman says these things makes these um, allegations against anyone first rather than doubt first and then prove that it happened we should trust first and then if it didn't happen then that can come out in in some kind of context I have no reason to not believe her Um, then the radio guy filed a defamation suit back against her saying this is defamation against him for all this money she's like no if I you know if I win she's not fight asking for money she just asked for a dollar so she was as a symbolic victory so she was awarded the one dollar um which is also making a a good statement uh, um but people are asking like why aren't feminists rallying around her in the same way and it's i mean that that kind of stuff rubbed me the wrong way because it's not that people weren't rallying around her but it's interesting that you have to, I don't know, Taylor Swift, on the other hand, has a long track record of, of things that I don't consider, and, and many people don't, because not I'm not the arbiter of this, but and many people don't consider, you know, like, feminist actions, let's say. And so she does claim this feminist identity now, but a lot of what she does doesn't back it up. So I wonder where that, you know... It's a very white feminist thing to say, oh, we all have to rally around every woman that's doing these things. Like, would it be the same if it was Kellyanne Conway or, you know, obviously we don't want anything bad to happen to these people necessarily. And we don't want this kind of situation to happen to anyone. But is it then to say you're not a feminist for not actively standing up to support Taylor Swift in this instance, like you can support the cause and the 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 politics behind what's going on, but I don't think you have to be a cheerleader on the front line for Taylor Swift. I don't know. It was a very, you know, whatever moment. And in the big scheme of things, it, it doesn't really matter that much, but it was interesting that people were calling that out. You know, at the same time, we've got a lot of shit going on right now, <laughs> as as always, really, for the last, um, well, especially the last seven months, and really even more than that since the election, and it became an impending, well, I I was going to say an impending doom that we knew he was going to be inaugurated, Um, and now he is, and we're dealing with a lot of stuff, especially everything that was going on in Charlottesville last weekend, um, er- everything that's happened since and the way 
it's being normalized and supported by the White House, essentially neo-Nazis and white supremacists being supported. Um, you know, it, 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 things like these little pop culture moments pale in comparison when you're thinking about that stuff. But um, I still think it, it, it ties in. And it, there's an interesting tie-in to the way a lot of, it seemed a lot of white feminists jumped to a kind of solely gender-based analysis in the in the midst of ongoing attacks by white supremacists and Nazis, you know, being like, this is the patriarchy, you don't see women out marching in these streets, and that's just, that's false, actually. There's a lot of women that do march in these um, demonstrations, but there's also a lot of white women at home supporting these men, or it's from the sidelines, or, you know, off-camera, however... It seems wherever they seem to be, but supporting these people's politics, even tacitly, uh, actively or passively, whether whether they say we don't agree with you, but they're married to them or they're, you know, ha- have them over for family dinner. All these things kind of lead up to, well, they amount to the same thing, I guess. So in light of that, I saw that kind of connection between what people are saying about what every feminist must do to be feminist, but it, it's all based on a very, very non-intersectional, a single axis understanding. Um, and, and there seems to be a point where a point at which where every white feminist will fall back. And I'm saying white feminist. I hope you all know, you know, the, Yes, it usually correlates to them being a white person and being a feminist, but it's like, you know, capital W, capital F, white feminist trademark, this whole kind of politics where it's a single axis looking. And it's and it, there's a point at which every white feminist, I'm doing scare quotes, you can't see me, you're only listening to me I'm with my fingers, um, falls back on a sole, the, the single axis of gender versus ever siding with another position that may not be solely influenced by gender. Does this make sense? And that's why like an intersectional analysis of power and of oppression is really important because sometimes it shows a feminist politics lying outside of just supporting a sole white woman in whatever situation. It's like when people yelled about, we can't, well, it's also kind of like how, well, no, it's like when the Ivanka Trump got the the situation where she got yelled at on an airplane in front of her kids or whatever that was, and, and white feminists jumped out saying, oh, but nobody deserves to be yelled at in front of their kids. There's another way to do this. Well, fuck that. She can be yelled at in front of her kids. That's fine. She's in a position. She's knowingly taken this position. She knows what is going on and she's actively supporting politics that hurt so many people. I think it's fine, right? To if she's confronted like that on an airplane just because her kids like there's a I guess the point is there's a place at which every white feminist will protect a white woman above all else even when that white woman doesn't need protection from anything I don't know or puts themselves in an active position to be critiqued 
And then so they kind of get both sides. They they actively are in, you know, you're Ivanka Trump. You're actively placing yourself. You're actively saying things like, oh, we condemn, you know, the the hatred and I converted to Judaism and like how dare anyone act like this in the world and yet you're act- working actively in an administration for your father who is I mean let's not he's an actual white supremacist <laughs> so I would side with like protecting anyone else over Ivanka Trump I would I would think in in most any situation I can think of, but there's, you know, that's where you boil all this down, this like white feminist politics, and there comes a point when you have to make that really, really difficult choice as to whether this is not the same thing as the Taylor Swift thing. This is now getting into real, you know, political um, nuance. I mean, Taylor Swift exists in that space in a pop cultural way um, to some degree, but. Uh, there's a place where you have to make this choice and like, is it still feminist if you don't support someone like Ivanka Trump? And I would say yes, in many cases, because you're having an intersectional analysis of power versus just one that slowly or, or solely runs up against gender at some point and you can't get past it. But, and this is like something that's been going through my head a lot, thinking about what is that place where you run into a dead end in in that kind of politics, in that kind of feminist politics or whatever politics, and you're at, you, you get this catch-22 dead end where you're, like, supporting someone you otherwise... who is, who is the actual problem. Um, there's, like, a, a much more theoretical, nuanced way to say all this, and it's that's not just me rambling on right now, but that's just been on the top of my head, so I was thinking about it. And it reminds me of this other moment we had after um, Charlottesville that I was writing on, and so I have a, a, a nicer, you know, thought-out piece that is on my Twitter if you care, or Facebook, if you care to see it. But um, Lady Gaga came out, um, and Lady Gaga is someone who I go back and forth on. I like most of her music. Some of it is not my thing. A lot of her performance stuff is a bit pretentious, in my opinion. But uh, she's got a good voice, and she can write a great pop song, and fine, whatever. She came out with a tweet right after the the violence in Charlottesville with a Twitter poll, because I guess that's how we're we're figuring out the best course of action now. I mean, why not? Trump is retweeting Twitter polls as whatever facts and, you know, as if as if we've controlled the sample group, as if we know who even votes. You don't even know who the people are that vote on your Twitter poll when you get the... Um, it just gives you the number. So, <laughs> anyway, the um, right. Her, how do we respond to things like this in Charlottesville with do we... Hashtag be kind or hashtag be violent. I mean, come on, that whole thing is set up. Nobody's gonna literally say, "Well, we we should all take to the streets in violence." I mean, some people actually would say that, but the the way the question's set up is obviously everyone wants to say, "Oh, you be kind, you be kind," but it takes it doesn't take into account the actual situations and the actual violence be already being perpetrated against you or or groups of people. It doesn't take any of that into account. So it's obviously like this 
I want to be well-intentioned, but this kind of kindness is always, love is love, kindness is the answer. It came off as really pretentious and disingenuous, and people called her out for it. So then, as a follow-up, she asked, um, she put a call out to, she addressed it to the black community, um, which, again, is just, okay, we're setting, she's setting herself up for a problem here, but... We'll, we'll get to that. And asked, um, I don't have the tweet right in front of me, but it was something to the effect of, what can the non-racist white community that loves you do to help further the struggle or further or spread word about the struggle, what's going on, the movement, whatever she said. Right. So I immediately, when I saw the tweet, I like started frantically tweeting all these responses to it because I had a kind of visceral reaction about all the problems. But in the, in the, um, in the frame of like, let's use this as a teaching moment, a learning moment of as what we white people can do or not do in the case of how she framed things, uh, like use this. Of course I got all the Lady Gaga stands. What are, they're the little monsters. Okay. The little monsters in my mentions and yelling at me and, saying that I'm the real racist and I'm speaking on issues that I have no knowledge of. But I'm, I mean, the issue I was speaking on was like what white people can do as a group and should do as a group, which I do have experience <laughs> since I am a white person. Like I, w- I was trying to stay in that lane and that was the exact point of what I was saying, but nobody ever reads the whole thread. They just read like pick and choose a couple. So my point was like non-racist white people do not exist. It's a it's a false opposite. It's a, like a false dichotomy that's been set up to, to where the opposite of racist is non-racist. Well, that means the would mean the absence of racism. And while you might not feel racist in your heart, <laughs> or you know, you, you might not be committing hate crimes and using racist slurs actively that doesn't remove racism from the equation or the situation or the system, you know, the world that we live in. So it's like a false opposite that the opposite is really anti-racist. And I mean, people have said this, Angela Davis said this um, in a quote famously, I think it's back from 1979, where in in a racist society, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so it might not be completely correct, but I quoted it in the piece I wrote. In a racist society, it is not enough to be non-racist. We must be anti-racist. So anti-racist involves, or like at least alludes to, or or marks that this is a process. Anti-racism is like a constant thing. You have to be constantly confronting racism at every turn. No one can be non-racist because that means you've fallen into a static position um, or a static identity that is, that's mostly for you because that doesn't do anything. It's like for the recognition, for the, you know, we always talk about, you don't get a cookie for that for being a basic human being when you're talking about social justice stuff. Oh, you want a cookie? No, you don't get a cookie. I actually saw someone on Twitter that sends out literal cookies to people. To <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know the whole politics behind it and if it actually is like this cutesy, whatever, never mind. 
um, at Asar, she was offering to send out cookies to people that had done good work, and I was like, ooh, but that kind of defeats the purpose, but of, uh, at least of the saying and, and the whole politic behind it. Uh, <laughs> the, if you want to call yourself... The other thing I was really wanting to know and ask and have asked myself and pose to other white people is why do you need so why do you need a a name for yourself so bad why do you need something that you can call yourself that was another thing that people fired back on twitter well what do you want to call if you can't call them non-racist white people what do you want to call them well why do we have to have a name to validate that group of people it seems like it's about their own ego our own ego versus actually getting anything done and so anyway I just tried to explain like why in my opinion and this is still the hardest thing to get across when I'm teaching or when I'm talking to students or young people that the whole the whole system the whole foundation the whole bedrock of our society is racist so we're set down in the middle of it there's no such thing as not being racist not being in the racist society we're not in a bubble you know we're part of the world we're interacting with so the only thing you can do is constantly move against it and there's the i was talking about a treadmill where it's like being set down on a treadmill and if if you don't start moving you fall backwards and you fall off and you trip or whatever happens also because i'm a runner and that's like the constant fear that goes through at least me what because i have anxiety too so i'm on a treadmill and I always have this like, oh my God, what if I try? And I've seen people do it. Actually, Taylor Swift has that commercial for Apple Music or Beats or something, right? Where she falls off the treadmill, which is all obviously planned, but it's still very satisfying to watch, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, the, like, the impulse is to laugh, but I always have this like fear. What if, you, what if your foot kind of hits a little bit off the moving part and somehow and you trip or, you know, your iPod falls off and it, tangles and you're letting you trip and you fall off right so i was like it's being set down and and to to just maintain the status quo you have to start moving you have to start walking if you want to run faster and like overtake the treadmill you have to push it even harder you have to work even more against i mean in this analogy uh, the treadmill is you know the racism the racist society white supremacy this isn't giving you concrete things that you do but it's just kind of putting it out there that you have to be constantly working. And there's the um, moving walkway theory that Beverly uh, Tatum has where it's like a moving walkway. If you stand still, you're still moving towards the same destination. If you walk the same direction, you're moving faster towards. So, so walking on the walkway is like active racism. Standing still is passive racism, not calling things out, not, not using slurs, not, um, committing hate crimes in the name of racism, but not calling out your racist relatives, not standing up when you see something happen, not, you know, all these passive ways that racism continues and we don't do anything about it. Um, not educating yourself, not asking questions, not reading about all this, not going beyond your own version of high school history or middle school, you know, whatever kind of history you're taught because it's not the, the full perspective. 
um, you're, you're going to reach the same destination. You just might not reach it as fast as the person walking on the walkway. And then the other option is you turn around and you run as fast as you can to, to um, counteract the direction of the walkway. I, I wasn't I didn't I wasn't reading that theory when I was thinking about a treadmill. I was just thinking about my own anxiety over running on a treadmill. But they both kind of speak to the same idea, but in these different directions. And the one thing I like about the idea of falling off the treadmill is well, I don't like the idea of falling off the treadmill. But it also shows that, you know, white supremacy and our racist society doesn't just hurt people of color. Of course, it hurts people of color in in much bigger, um, more obvious and less obvious ways. But you know, it that's the target. But white people are also hurt by this. Um, again, with an intersectional analysis of power, there's class, there's gender, there's other things going on. So it's not like every and this gets into a conversation about white privilege too, where a lot of people are like, oh, "Well, I'm not privileged. I don't feel privileged," but the society is still built where power is wielded by whiteness. So if you're a white person, you still have some access to that power and privilege, even if you don't actively feel it. So the idea of falling off the treadmill also being damaging to the person who's participating even actively or passively in racism, I think can sometimes be a helpful tool to get people to rethink this idea, but it's still one of the, it's so difficult to get young people, not all young people, but you know, when you teach a wide group of students and, and people want to really push back against that idea that by doing, you know, we're taught that to do nothing is good (laughs) in a sense, right? Not if you're like watching someone die on the street in front of you. You're not supposed to do nothing. You're supposed to help. But we're taught that to not talk about race, to not talk about differences, to not point them out is actually beneficial. And that's not true. This like whole colorblind fallacy where we don't see race. We don't see color. We just see people. We just see beautiful human hearts or whatever. Like, I don't know. It gets into that kind of corny language. But that's actually not doing, that's not helping. But we internalize that so deeply that to say everyone, I mean, sometimes blatantly I just say, by virtue of being in the United States as a white person, and even as, as non-white people, you internalize the sense of the way racism works and is wielded against non-white people. And it, you can wield the same force or, or support the same things. I mean, look at someone like Ben Carson, right? You don't have to be white to support the system of white supremacy. Um, but, of course, it, it, it happens in greater numbers with and is more obvious. So for white people to be born into this system or to actively live in, you don't have to be born here, but if you come here and are actively participating in society, you're racist. The only question is whether... Do you want to fight against it or do you want to be part of it, right? Those are the two options. It's not, there's no like, well, I'm not, I'm just not. You can't step out. 
you can't step off the walkway or off the treadmill or, or remove yourself from the situation. You have to make one of those two decisions about which way you want to run, move. You can't just stand because if you stand, you're still part of it. I don't know. I guess we need better ways to communicate this idea and get this idea across because it's not just young people. It's anyone who's kind of set and internalized that idea and, and, and never challenged it. But I think the younger you get people to challenge it, the easier it is to create change, change in society, right? Because if you, if you in, in, instill this idea as a young, to a young, younger person, it won't be such a big deal later on. It'll just be part of the background that they're always thinking about. So Maybe it's just about talking about it earlier. Um, why did I go off on this tangent? Oh, because I was talking about Lady Gaga. Uh, right? So, and, and also just the idea that she's asking the, I'm doing scare quotes again, the black community, like, I guess of the world, because she's a worldwide celebrity and she's like reaching out on Twitter. What do we do? I don't think she meant anything by it. Um, I think being ignorant of how it would come off is a problem. Uh, but you know, I don't think her heart is mean. I don't think she's mean. I think she's a kind person and she wants good in the world, but it's like, you can mean well and, and still it comes off or still it, it is part of a problem. And so you just have to be really hyper aware as white people, um, as a white person and, and not be so defensive. Like the fans that come after, um, I don't know how she, I didn't really follow the way she kind of, and I think she admitted to some of, oh, I wasn't thinking how it would come off, but I didn't follow all her responses because I don't, I just, I have to do other things in the day. I can't pay attention to that all, all day. Um, but she, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the learning process and, and to let it be a learning process is really important and, and use it as a, te- as a teaching thing. We also get really, I mean, everyone jumps to outrage on social media and the internet so quickly. So, and sometimes it's it's more valid than others, but it's also nice to take a step back and try and use something as maybe a bit of a teaching and learning moment. The danger is when you try and do that with and tie it to pop culture, it becomes fan wars, stan wars, whatever, where the point is missed completely and everyone just wants to scream about no, Lady Gaga is better. I mean, everyone was like, oh, you're saying this because you love Beyonce. Well, no, that's not why I'm saying it, actually. I'm just using it. And I never said one thing about Beyonce. Um, but that's always the comeback. So you miss the actual... It's one of the really hard things about trying to use pop culture to teach and have teaching moments um, is it collapses into that just visceral fan response versus critical thinking response, I guess. Um, speaking of Beyonce, I was so looking forward to, she released the How to Make Lemonade today. Um, it was expensive, but I definitely bought it because I need, (laughs) and it's part of my research so I can write it off on my taxes. I need, um, I need it for, you know, to work on, use as sources and work on writing about lemonade and all these things. And just as a fan, I want, I want it. Uh, um, 
it came out, but I don't know. Mine isn't here. My shipping said that it won't be here till Monday. So a lot of people have it and are posting all these pictures out of it on, on Twitter. And my intent today was to have the book and just do a podcast where I'm going through the book and talking about it and how amazing the whole thing is while like lemonade on vinyl plays in the background or something, but I don't have it yet. So I'm going to have to do the next episode. Um, and it will probably come very quickly because I really want to go through that book and spend time with it and then let people know that don't have a copy. What's, what's going on with the book. I should just do like a live video of myself turning page by page. I, people are probably doing that. I'm not, we can't lie about that. I've already seen some, I don't know if they go through the whole book, but shorter. And I don't want to watch them because I want to wait till I get my copy and just go through it myself. Um, there was another thing going on today. I noticed with a Tina Fey video that, um, I don't want to say much about this, but she, was eating like this sheet cake. She it was a weekend update. Sorry, I guess I have to explain. I, I guess they're doing a. I don't know if this was actually broadcast on TV or if they just released it on the internet. Because Saturday Night Live is on hiatus over the summer, but it was a weekend update um, skit sketch where they bring Tina Fey on. She's not playing a character. She's just herself, I guess. So she comes on and is talking about. I guess she went to school at UVA where um, this white supremacist rally was um, taking place last weekend. And she starts talking, right? She makes jokes that are problems, first of all. Um, and But then she goes through this whole thing where she's eating a cake, a sheet cake. Like, here's what you do. Go to your favorite. Don't go out to the protest. Don't counter protest. Go to your favorite, you know, Jewish-owned bakery or whatever. And buy a cake and eat it. And she's like, I mean, I guess the joke is that she's stuffing her face full of cake while she tells these jokes about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, And everybody's really been coming down on her for uh, the, the whole, you know, trademark white feminism about it. It's like, don't, you know, basically don't, you don't have to do anything. You're, just by eating a cake, you'll be helping the cause. I When I first saw it, I thought maybe that the joke was the whole thing itself, that like she's not actually encouraging. The criticism is taking it very literally, it seems. Um, I, didn't, I, I thought the joke was she wasn't actually encouraging, encouraging people to do this. It was pointing out the absurdity of not going out and speaking out. Right by, by kind of making fun of herself in that way, but then right, I keep thinking about it, and I realize, even so, if that's the case, the the whole privileged nature of being able to joke about it like that is a problem. Um, it makes me think about a lot of Sarah Silverman's racist comedy, where she's like, "No, that's not the, that's not the punchline. The punchline is how." ignorant her character seems to the actual racism that's going on and you know there was a time when I was like oh I get it she's trying to be really smart about this and whatever but then you know you take a step back and it's that's actually 
maybe even worse because you're expecting you're performing something that offends or that uh, rubs a lot of people though in, in Tina Fey's case in Sarah Silverman's case is very offensive she did a lot like there was this one blackface episode of her her show that I think about a lot when I'm thinking about how she talks about this but with the Tina Fey example right you're doing something that can be seen as offensive or rub a lot of people the wrong way because they don't have the luxury of of not going out and 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 fighting and challenging these things because they're being directly uh confronted they're like they're Tina Fey's a white woman and a wealthy white woman at that but you know so so making the joke itself even if the point is to look back at herself like as have the audience see her as comical because she's so oblivious to what's going on outside it's the same as just being oblivious to what's going on outside right like what's the difference and 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 you're adding an extra layer of hurt to people because you think that what they're going through is not serious enough to take seriously you make jokes about it by recreating a narrative to have another joke. I mean, people are like, oh, it's so cerebral. It's so layered. And you know, you have to actually step outside from it. But the, it's a privilege to be able to step outside in that way and make that joke and create the character that is ignorant of what's going on outside, even if the character is yourself, where you're playing yourself. That was the thing with Sarah Silverman. In her show, you know, she played her same name she was Sarah Silverman but she played a different version of herself and that's even more offensive because it's like you want us to do a lot of work to separate you from the fake version of yourself who's doing lots of racist things and then you blame the audience that doesn't want to do that extra work it's like the Lady Gaga thing asking for extra work from the group of people that are being oppressed how can we help you you know and then saying, oh, well, you just don't get it if, you don't, if, if the answer that comes back isn't the one you like. I don't know. I guess those things, two things are tied up in a certain kind of way. Um, but with Lady Gaga asking, how can I help? First of all, it's 2017. And you know, there's been first centuries, first of all, of work done to tell white people how they can help or engage or... Or, you know, you can talk to your friends. You can not put out a worldwide call that requires everyone to, to and I'm not even talking about, I'm like talking about white, white friends. You should never be asking anyone else to do more labor for you that has already been done, frankly. And you can Google it and you can read a million books and articles and poems and watch movies. Like all this information is out there to find. So to ask someone is just another step of being disingenuous and another way to defer your own responsibility or or try and remove your own responsibility um from the whole situation uh and that's the problem ultimately you know that you that those things aren't thought about before before the question is asked um, I said, it's like if you see someone on fire, it would be really rude or not helpful to ask, what can I do for you? 
You know, you just need to go find some fucking water and you need to do whatever it takes to find the water. And you grab a bucket, you look for a hose, you knock over a fire hydrant. What, what do you have to do? You find the water, right? Because this, this is not a how can I help you kind of moment. Um, and it hasn't been. It never has been a how can I help you moment. People's lives are on the line here. Uh, I guess the last thing I haven't gotten to is back to music. I meant to talk about this earlier. Um, the new Kesha album came out last week, um, called Rainbow. She'd been releasing a lot of the songs. I think we'd heard four or five of them before the album came out. Uh, but I listened to it last week, um, first time through and I was like, uh, you know, there's some good songs, uh. Whatever, it wasn't really connecting with me. But this week, again, I've been listening to it, and maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's my headspace, maybe it's the world. Um, but it is really growing on me. It, it It's different than her other music, of course, right? I mean, the, the whole thing here is the legal battle she's been through with um, Dr. Luke, who abused her, uh, and she couldn't get out of this record contract, but this is her, this is now her record without him. This is kind of like her freedom record. She's away, she, she's making the music she wants to make. She said that in a bunch of interviews that this album and certain particular songs, Praying I think is one very obvious one, have helped save her life. Uh, and I connected with that um, feeling this week because her music, her music has always been, you know, she stands up for, like, the freaks and the weirdos and the people that don't fit in, the outcasts and the outsiders, and that's what I've loved, always loved about her music. Um, this, this album, at first, I thought was, like, kind of disjointed in terms of genre, but listening again and, and more through the whole thing... It doesn't feel that way as as much. There's a lot of country songs, um, and I love the kind of blend of country and and pop and rock and a little bit of soul and ballads. There's you know I just I I, I heard it in a different way, and the lyrics especially are so empowering. Going back to what I was saying about the Pink song. This whole Kesha album is very inspiring and uplifting and, imp um, I said empowering already. Um, and especially for now, for this, these things that we're all going through, like we all haven't been through exactly what, what Kesha's situation is, but a, a, a lot of people have been through that or similar, or people have just been through something where they need someone that will tell them, you know, you're okay fuck it, it doesn't matter what they think, we're still going strong, we're still here, we're gonna make it kind of music. And that's what everything on the album really is. There's a couple more like rock punky songs. Um, the one, the Boogie Feet song, even reminded me a little of Kathleen Hanna and Bikini Kill in the, in the way it sounded. Um, the country stuff reminded me of um, an artist I really like, named Lindy Ortega, uh, but the, her vocals, well, and first, the if you've heard Praying, and she hits that, like, Mariah Carey-type high note, 
um, which is incredible. She shows off her, her vocal ability. And I knew she could sing before, but this is like really showing that she wasn't just this kind of bad auto-tune poppy singer. She has the vocals. Um, and knowing her story, it makes the lyrics all that more, you know, striking and visceral. And I don't know what the word is, but I guess affecting. I was going to say like goosebumpy. You get goosebumps when you hear a lot of the stuff. The only issue, I guess, I had that stayed with me after the first, um, well, it was really about praying, not the whole album. Uh, when I first, because that was the very first thing we heard that she released, and it came with a video, and what I watched it as, I, and I listened as the video for the first um, experience, and I think that tainted the way I felt about it because everyone was gushing and saying what an amazing song it was. And I didn't have that feeling after the video. I didn't like, well, the video is weird and that kind of sensibility is not necessarily my, you can tell it's directed by the same person that directed haunted Beyonce's video. It was, it's not just a, um, <laughs> a con like a connection in my head. It's real, but that kind of weirdness is totally Kesha, but it's not really my vibe. So I didn't necessarily like all that. It didn't make the most sense to me, but um, it also felt derivative of Lemonade because she had that spoken word part in the first, but it didn't come off as genuine and for some reason. Anyway, then after that, I started list just listening to the song without the visual, and it, it made the song a million times better for me. I really like the song now. It's one of my favorites on there. The My actual favorite probably is still Woman, which is like this amazing anthemic, you know, I'm a motherfucking woman. She just keeps screaming out. And maybe I said this on the last episode. I can't remember. I don't think it's been out that long. But um, I remember saying this somewhere. I don't remember where. Um, but seeing Sharon Jones in the video, who sadly passed away earlier, um seeing her again was really, I mean, both happy and sad, but she's got the Dap King horns section playing on that song, and Sharon Jones is in the video, and it's really cute. Um, I think that's still my favorite track on the whole album. The I really like how she plays, and I like this not just with Kesha, but in general, because I'm not at all a religious person. I'm an atheist, uh, but... I like a blend of religion that doesn't... I like the blend of religious imagery that doesn't feel religious. Like, if that makes any sense. It's how I felt when Emily Sende's last album came out, Long Live the Angels, and there's so much... Uh, well, like, angels, religious metaphors and things like that on the album and and talk about a god but that doesn't feel like that version of a you know an institutionalized religion version of a god i like that blend of r religious anti-religion is that's not a thing but that's how it feels right she's talking about praying she's got the song about him this is a hymn for the hymnless um folks with no religion like, I like that kind of... Because it feels... 
I don't, I can't think of the word. I want to say it feels punk rock. It feels a little bit sacrilegious, but also really empowering and, and respectful. If all of those things can go together, I don't know, but that's how, that's how it strikes me. And so I like when artists do that. I like it here, especially because it feels very, it's like church for the outsiders with no, with no expectations, no uh, institutionalization of what you have to believe or should believe. It's, it's still open and it's kind of about community, but not you, but you don't have to believe the same thing. It's like a band of misfits kind of feeling anyway. Like, I mean, and that's Kesha's whole vibe, too. That's like, you know, um, and what I was saying with the Pink song earlier, those are, that's this reaction I have to all of this. And I guess that's why, I guess that's what I'm needing right now in the world or hoping for in the world amidst all this terribleness and violence that it just feels good. Like, this is how art can kind of, and music and things can help even when they're not directly responding, like with the Lady Gaga tweets, when they're not directly responding to a certain thing, but just how a song being put out with the right message at the right time, and it doesn't have to be so blatant, but it can it can help, it can, or it can, it can save us. Like Kesha said about making this record for herself, it helped save her life. This This kind of music can help save people, and... Um, I guess I've just been really feeling that this week and leaning into it and it, it's kind of cliche, but you know, it, it's still helping. <laughs> so I, I definitely recommend the Kesha album. Now I was not connecting at first and it, I was just saying it wasn't, it just wasn't for me, but now I'm a hundred percent on board. I'm loving it. I recommend that. You should go watch the new Pink video, which I think is also amazing. And the VMAs are coming up, I think, next, like in a week and a half. So I'm excited to see what Pink does there. Um, I'll be back again, hopefully just next week. Uh, Maybe I'll just be talking about how to make lemonade. Uh, Not the drink, but the album, the book, How to Make Lemonade, about Beyonce making the album. Uh, But please tweet at me or give me a um, an email or a message. Let me know what you want to hear me dissect, get into, what you want to talk about, what you're loving right now or hating right now, aside from the person in charge of the country that we all hate, so you don't have to name him necessarily, uh, but in terms of movies or TV or um, music, What's, what's really moving you, what's helping you, what's saving you right now. Um, you can send me a, a message on Twitter, at Kevin Allred, or you can just go to my website, uh, www.kevin-allred.com. One day I'm going to find the person who just has my name.com without the fucking little dash that I have to put into it and steal it back from them. But until then, it's Kevin dash allred.com and there's a contact page you can just send me an email straight from there okay um i hope you all have as good of a week 
and next while as is possible in these times, and I will be back, hopefully with some more music or, or more ideas that can help save us as well. Whew. All right. You all have a great day, time, moment, and I will talk again with you soon. Bye.